game day, uh, but we are uh, also recording this earlier in the afternoon. The Knicks play the Nets in a few hours, uh, but we have now uh, 27 games to digest, and you know we've spent so much time on the podcast really delving into kind of game to game and like storyline to storyline, and one thing that I, I promised myself that we would do on this podcast from day one is periodically kind of check in on some some big picture stuff and like how are things going with certain players like what are players good at what are players not good at how how do we see them sticking around long term or not so in that vein uh, I'm bringing someone on the podcast who I think arguably as far as really good solid big picture film analysis is doing as good of a job as anyone out there um, in Nick's uh, bloggersville uh, and that is Tom Piccolo of B-Ball Index. Tom, how the hell are you doing, man? Jonathan, I'm I'm doing well, man. I appreciate the kind words and you guys having me on. Nick's Film School has been blowing up lately, so I'm uh I'm excited to be on. We uh, have gotten we've gotten lucky. I don't know. We came along at the right time. I have no idea because if you're asking me why this thing has been working, I do not have an answer. But it seems to be, so that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, man, I've been listening to your pods lately, and you guys have had some some of the best guests out there. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to this. Well, I'm so am I, and the reason is because so just to give everybody listening a little bit of background, as I said, Tom writes for um, B-Bowl Index, and I would say you're putting out maybe it seems like about two columns a week, um, just kind of analyzing some of the the nitty gritty stuff. Um, it, pertaining to specific Knicks players and then you do like a, a three two one overview which is I love those um, in which you hit on a couple different topics and I kind of just wanted to go through some of your your observations that you've had so far this year um, I know the topic of the moment is Frank and we're, we're going to get to him in a bit but your most recent article was actually on Mitchell Robinson and specifically on his defense I want to open with this. Since Summer League, because in Summer League, he, I think, putting it kindly, was kind of a disaster. Based on all the film work you did on Mitch, have you seen a, do you think you've seen a significant improvement since then? Yeah, I think it is fair to say in Summer League, and even at the very beginning of the season, he he was pretty regularly lost out there. But That's as a good word him, for it. <laughs> yeah. As you've seen him get more comfortable and just start to recognize more things that there's no question that he's just, he's like preternaturally, he's a great athlete and he's a, he has all the tools to be an elite rim protector, but it's, it's like I wrote in the piece, it's, it's how he uses those tools, right? Like it, it takes more than just long arms and, and leaping ability to be able to block shots. It takes timing and the ability to see how plays are unfolding as they develop. And, and Robinson, he's definitely gotten better at that as the season's progressed. Of So you highlighted actually a couple of different things in your Robinson piece, um, and I, I've noticed a lot of the same things. Of everything that he's improved upon uh, since Summer League, what do you think is the most significant in terms of 
maybe his long-term potential as an elite defender in the league? Well, we know like bigs these days are put into so many pick and rolls, hoping to to create mismatches and just just confusion in the defense. So, I mean, Robinson's ability to defend pick and rolls has just been so much better. Um, he he is very versatile. Like he, he defends in isolation. He he blocks shots off the help side a lot too. But it's out of pick and rolls I really noticed um, just the the greatest leaps, the strides he's been making. He. He can switch onto the perimeter a little bit and then move his feet. That's an area where I expect him to actually improve. But um, he does so many little things too, like denying entry passes and um, and kind of like you know the, what's the word? Just stunting towards yes. uh, toward, towards stunting towards the ball handler and recovering back to his to his rolling man. Um, and it's it's very impressive for a guy his age and his experience. Yeah, you you had a clip. Um, I think it was one of the clips you had in there of Mitch against the Celtics in which in a span of what seemed like a second or two seconds, he was covering for Knox who had gotten lost on a screen um, and his man was about to have an open three. And then as that man passed it back uh, to, I forget who was driving down the lane, Mitch kind of gets back in the perfect position to, you know, I I think it was guard the ball handler. Mm-hmm. while also like being in the right spot in case you know that ball handler then passed it off i just it's amazing that he's doing this as a kid who hasn't played basketball essentially in in a year um and yeah he, I, I think the the play you're referring to may have been against the celtics i really broke that one down because yeah so did i say the celtics i meant to if i didn't yeah yeah so what happened was he was guarding al horford who set a, a pick for marcus smart he kind of stopped marcus smart's drive before it even happened and he sprinted back to Al Horford, who was rolling towards the rim, and as he was doing that, it put him in the perfect position to contest a Jason Tatum layup at the rim, and it was just, he, he blocked the shot, and then he tried to throw it off of Tatum's leg. Yes, 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 yes. Such yes. a complete, such a complete defensive play, and then afterwards, when he wasn't able to throw it off Tatum's leg, he was, like, upset with himself, like he'd messed up or something, so it was just, it was just an overall impressive display from him. Yeah, and it, I don't know if you heard it, um, it was... Uh, Zach Lowe, I forget who he had on. It was maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, he wasn't talking about the Knicks. He was just talking about rookies in general. And he mentioned Mitch, and he uh, invoked the names of probably the two greatest defensive big men in the history of the sport, uh, Bill Russell and Tim Duncan, for a very specific reason, that Robinson has this tendency to either block it to himself, which you highlighted several examples of in your breakdown, or block it to a teammate, and it'll like spur a fast break. So, you know... I to me of everybody on the team, all the young guys, I think he's probably the guy I'm most excited about to see his improvement um, going forward. I mean, it, it's funny because I really wasn't even looking for plays where Robinson was blocking it to himself. It's just as I was finding these, that happened to be a trend that just popped out. It was really ridiculous the number of uh, blocks he was able to to secure himself. It was really wild. So uh, yeah. Bill Russell and Tim Duncan, some, some pretty lofty <laughs> Yeah, just, just a bit. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, no. Um, so let's go from actually one big man to another. Um, and I, you may have forgotten at this point that you wrote this. So back on October 21st, so we were, I think, four days into the season, the Knicks had played uh, maybe two games. You wrote in your uh, 3-2-1, you wrote for your prediction that Noah Vonley – would replace Kyle O'Quinn as an MSG fan favorite off the bench. 
And you were half right uh, because <laughs> he's definitely a fan favorite. Um, but he ain't coming off the bench, and he's not going to be anytime soon. I, I really undersold him with that Kylo Quinn. I mean, no, we, I mean, we all did, right? Did yeah. we? It's it's amazing. Like, what's what's your favorite thing about Vonley? Because you had you mentioned him again in another another recent piece. Um, what do you like best about watching him? I mean, really, the the effort that he plays with his motor is so high at all times. Like, it's it's just it's so hard to believe watching him that he wasn't able to pan out in multiple spots before this. Like, I don't know how teams were using him, but like he can he's a very complete player. I know. Um, Fisdale has said, and it gets repeated on broadcast, that he's like the most complete player on the team. But like defensively, he's strong and he, he tries so hard. And offensively, he's really developed. Like the, his three point shot, I feel like, is the thing I saw coming the least. I mean, he's hitting well over forty percent, I think, on on threes. Yeah, I, I have it right here. He's at um, <laughs> my god, I, had to, I literally had to look twice at Basketball Reference just now. He's at forty six percent. On nearly two attempts a game, that's like that's nuts. That's stunning. Like, so is that sustainable for for the duration of the season? I don't. I mean, not probably at that clip, but I mean, thirty nine, forty percent on on that kind of volume. It's it's really valuable to have a big who screens that hard and who can either roll to the rim or pop out. Like, it, it makes the offense much less predictable. Yeah, and that you know, I just want to pick up on that last point because I. There are several things that annoy me when fans are like, oh, why are we you know, playing these guys who uh, may not be here next year X amount of minutes a night? Well, if a guy's doing the things like Vonley's doing, A, as you just said, setting amazing screens, and B, offering a release valve, like a, a legitimate release valve um, by you know stepping out to the three-point arc and being able to knock that shot down, that accelerates the development of everybody else out there on the court with him. Um, so his presence, I feel like, may have been maybe thus far the most beneficial of anybody you know on the team. Um, are you already on the uh, we have to figure out a way to keep him long term train, or are you you know kind of wait and see mode still? Well, it's, it's funny like, when people think about creating offense, it's almost always like the first thought is doing it with the ball in your hands, yep. but yep. He, he really does it by setting those screens. I know I wrote it in another uh, three, two, one column that the screen assists, right? Screen assists. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's developing great chemistry with ball handlers. He's flipping screens at the last second. He's, um, he's just doing all the little things. So, and it, like you said, that is another way to create offense, to generate open shots for players. Um, as far as, as, his future with the Knicks, like I mean, I would be thrilled to have him. I I can totally see him being like the sort of like a six man type or third big off the bench on the next great Knicks team. Um, I don't know if he's gonna if he's playing too well that he's gonna earn himself a, a contract elsewhere. But I yeah. know you've talked about it many times before that that's even that like it doesn't sound great, but it's it's developing that culture, and I'm. I'm fully on board with that line of thinking that uh, that we want to New York to develop that culture where players want to go there because they see it as a place where they can really uh, fully utilize their their potential. Yeah, and it's 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 such it's like it that's that's not going to show up on any box score. Um, it's it's not in any it's not in any salary cap breakdown. It's just you know it's it's the things that that good organizations do. Um, and one thing actually I I meant to mention about Vonley is sure. he is really 
he loves his ability to grab and go. Oh my like, god, no one loves it as much as him. <laughs> man, you could tell like how proud he is of it. Like you see him like waving people off as soon as he gets a rebound, and like it's not like he does a ton with it. He usually just brings it down quickly and then like does a dribble handoff and it you know it, it's debatable how effective it is at this point but it's something to watch for going forward like can he turn that into a, a real skill that gets defenses on their heels because uh you could tell it's something he works on that's for sure no and and i listen i'm not going to turn this into a, a fisdale uh podcast because I, I think i'm already getting labeled uh amongst the twitter versus Twitter versus Twitter verse. I think there's only one Twitter verse um, as a as a Fisdale apologist. But it's like it's things like this where there are so many coaches who would tell him, "You get the rebound. The first thing you do, look for where are you outletting it to, um, and like don't think about it. Don't don't attempt to do anything. Just do that." Fisdale empowers his guys to like, "Hey, if you think you could do this." Give it a shot. If you if it's like not working, that'll be evident. But like a simple little thing like that, that clearly means a lot to this guy. Being able to bring the ball up the floor, like why not let him do it? And as you said, who knows what it could turn into? Nobody thought you know him being a three point threat would be a thing, and now you know, sure enough, it is. So, um, you know, I want to give uh, Fisdale some credit for that. Where where Fisdale's getting killed these days um, is with our our young friend Mr. Nilakina. Uh, you had a piece on Frank in which you actually highlighted um, his shot. So do you want to just give like a very quick summary of of what your observations were from that? Yeah, I mean when I wrote that piece, it was kind of towards the beginning of. I mean, no, he, he was in the midst of, of, a, of a shooting slump, no doubt. Like he'd had his little blip earlier in the season where he shot the ball really well yeah for seven games yeah and then he had really cooled off and so i was just trying to figure out like if there was anything mechanically going on uh with his shot or just what what the deal was and i mean statistically there's really no argument like on the whole frank has been a, a really bad shooter this year from really everywhere on the court it hasn't just been from three um at the rim mid-range behind the arc he, he's been really rough um, but then I, it's just you, you take a look at last year, and I know his raw three point percentage it was like thirty one point eight percent or something. It was it was not good. But then you know you you take a look at, at somewhere like cleaning the glass that, that filters out garbage time and and uh, half court heaves and and really just looks at the competitive portion of the ball. And he was shooting around league average, which yeah. um, which, which is solid. And then you take a look at the way he was generating his threes and where like what was his shot composition and he was mostly off catch and shoots he was he was just horrendous um off the dribble which was really bringing it was like an anchor to his uh his three-point percentage but his catch and shoot attempts were solid like it was a, around league average again for a, a rookie point guard coming from overseas adjusting to a new line so like there were reasons from last year to be optimistic about this year and um yeah, so like I, I just I spoke to like B-ball Index's in-house shot expert, who pointed out a couple quirks in, in Frank's um, form. He, the, the ball sticks to his forehead a little bit. He has a, an outward release instead of more of an upwards um, release, which kind of leads to a flatter shot. But he, he was saying that overall his form actually looked better this year. So I, it's just a matter of trying to determine what's actually causing this this shooting slump here. Yeah, and you, I think, ultimately came down with a, a chart, which, and I love how you, you phrased it, um, a chart which indicated that the more he plays, the better his percentages were. And then 
you know, like any good lawyer, even though I know that's not your good back, your background, you were like, you know, it could mean whatever you want it to mean. It could mean that, you know, obviously the coach is going to play him more when he's hitting his shots, or it could mean that when he has, you know, uh, the opportunity and the confidence and, you know, feels like, hey, the staff trusts me, um, he's more able to get in a rhythm and the confidence starts flowing and, and then he hits him. Um, you know, I know it's not, it's not, film work related but I just have to because I feel like I'm contractually obligated at this point to ask where do you come down on on the Frank thing in terms of uh, are these DMPs do you think they're a good idea or do you think it's just like the absolute worst thing they could do this is such a tough one I mean so you mentioned the confidence thing and I, and I think it's where it relates to, to Frank's confidence that I kind of disagree with with Fizz's philosophy here I mean so even say when Fizz keeps saying Frank will come back and for all, like I completely believe that um, that he's not permanently out of the rotation. But when he does, is there going to be some notion in the back of his mind, like, oh, if, if I don't produce offensively, if I don't make this shot, am I going to get benched again for multiple games? Like, and not just like limited minutes. We're talking goose eggs for multiple games. Could could that sort of hinder his confidence or, or linger with him uh, after this? Because it just. You know, I mean, you, you've played basketball before. Like, yeah. you know that if a quick hook from a coach is, is really tough, you need to be able to play through your mistakes, and that's what gives you the confidence to to excel. So, um, I, I don't. I am with many Knicks fans who don't like this uh, multiple DNP CD situation. I I understand the the counter argument that it's going to try and light a fire under him and all that, but. It's a it's a real gamble. We'll see. It's a long season though, so maybe we'll look back on this and laugh. Yeah, I mean, look, I I I've made the argument that you know they're trying to rewire him, and and it actually it's a a transition into a discussion about Moutier because you know you talk about Moutier and his his driving um, and how the one thing that that Frank has not done is he's he doesn't drive a lot and when he does drive it doesn't usually result in him um doing a whole lot in terms of it results in in points or assists you know and my argument has been they're trying to get him to do more of that at the same time absolutely 100% when he gets his chance and if it doesn't go well you know i mean how is he going to react to that? We just don't know. Um, the one thing I'll throw out there is Lance Thomas last night, he went on uh, Alan Hahn's show and said he's in Frank's ear every day and, and not to worry about him. His confidence is still high. But, you know, it's one of those things. You never know how a 20-year-old is going to react. Um, well, and the other thing I wonder there is just what does it say? I mean, Frank wasn't tailing off defensively. He was still no, he wasn't. Right. on that end. And just – it kind of sends mixed signals about the value that the that the coaching staff places on, on defense. Like in that Celtics game, plenty of people noted just how badly the Knicks were defending the pick and roll. Yeah, Frank is a great pick and roll defender. Like he can prevent penetration from guys like Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart. And uh, like the, the Knicks just had no answer for that. So it, it's confusing to me when you have a guy as talented on on the defensive end of the court, just to, to not even use him in certain matchups. I understand he's sending a message. I he, Fizz has kind of like got that old school mentality, but um, definitely, yeah. It's just you know you wonder about the message it sends about the value of defense, right? No, absolutely. I mean, it, there's there's no two ways about it. I, I thought um, it, that game was there was a point. 
I want to say maybe in the third quarter of the Celtics game where it's like, all right, I could see him getting in right now and, and making, you know, seeing what he could do. Um, that said, I also think there's definitely a possibility that Fizz had decided ahead of time, like, I'm going to sit the kid for at least three games and then, you know, get him back out there at, a, a like, the perfect situation. Um, but, like, you know, who knows? <laughs> we we have absolutely no idea how this is going to turn out. Um, the trade the trade rumors probably aren't helping anything. Um, we just have to, you know, hope the staff knows what they're doing. Um, one guy that they seem to know what they're doing with is Emmanuel Moutier, who you wrote a great article about how his ability to not look like a complete and total dumpster fire when he drives to the rim um, has it's really kind of turned his his season around and obviously his maybe his career around. You also then highlighted his defense in a much less glowing light in another article. So my my question to you, based on all of the film work you've done on Moutier, is this. Do you think his defense will ever get to a passable enough point to, like, make him a real asset, whether for the Knicks or for somebody else, you know, in conjunction with what he's able to do on the offensive side of the ball? I actually do think so. Um, he's not bad as a one-on-one on-ball defender. He's a little too slow to, to guard guys like Kyrie. He struggled with that a little bit. Um, but for the most part, like he has great size. He can switch. Like On-ball, he's fine. He really does get caught ball-watching a decent amount and lose his man, which is a discipline thing and I think I think can still be coached into him. Um, I think like offensively, he he's doing some things this year that I wonder whether they're sustainable. Like his is he really a thirty nine percent? I was shooter? about to say, do you think the shooting is sustainable? Probably not quite at this level at thirty nine percent. I think he's definitely improved. I mean, look how much more confidence he has when he, when he lets it go. Like he's probably closer to like at the end of the season, we'll probably look back and see it closer to like thirty six, thirty seven percent. Um, the other thing is his mid-range game. He's been hitting 56% of his long twos. Which is so high. It's so high. So that's going to come down. Um, but, you know, he's – either way, like he's a he's going to be a valuable player because of his ability to, to drive the ball. Like I said, he, he has probably the most balance of anyone in the backcourt between like aggressiveness, looking for his shot, and then unselfishness. Um, he, he still drives the ball the most on the team. He still passes the ball out of drives the most on the team. And he just has a nice, a nice balance, um, as a getting penetration and either kicking or looking for his own. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know where we're going to be with Moutier at the end of the year. The, the one thing I was actually thinking about it this morning, it's like we saw heading into 2000. 10, the summer of 2010, what the wrong approach was. The wrong approach is to put all of your eggs in, in the free agency basket and basically say that whatever's going on on the court, you know, leading up to that is, is meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, now fans are kind of like upset that it's too much the other way. Um, you know, it's, I, I like how he's coming along. I think it makes sense to give him time to develop in just in case, you know, Kevin Durant decides he doesn't want to come here this summer. Then, then you're not left with no options. You give Moody a, you know, maybe a bloated one year deal or something like that. Would you, out of, out of Vonley and Moody, which do you think if they decide to go this route would get them a better asset at the trade deadline? Or do you think either of them would get them a legit asset at the trade deadline? 
Yeah, it really does depend on on the teams that are going to be buyers. But uh, like, you wonder is a is a backup because these are good teams who'll be looking to add players. You'd imagine at the trade deadline, exactly. like, what's a more valuable position? What's a what's a more scarce position? Is it is it like a backup point guard or is it a backup big? Uh, I mean, you can make a, a case for either. Really, I don't know that I would. I think I'd probably just say Moutier at this point. Um, just because his ability, like handling the ball, like running a, a second unit offense, like that's just it's really important. So if if a good team doesn't have that, that's a that's a must have. Yeah, I wonder if you know I don't know what's going on with with Phoenix with uh, with Orlando with um, yeah I guess they would be the the two teams. Like do either one of them basically take the same chance on Moutier that the Knicks took last year and maybe you know give give up something of of note for it? Eh, we'll see. Something I do think the Knicks should should look into. Um, okay, last two points I want to hit on, two players I want to hit on. Um, one is Tim Hardaway Jr. So you wrote a great piece about how he's gotten a lot better on the pick and roll. Uh, both, I think, you're, I'm pretty sure your statistics that you found indicated not only as a scorer, but as kind of a distributor. Um, do, do you think he's ever going to be enough of a secondary playmaker to kind of um I, I'm hesitant to say justify this contract because I don't I don't know that anything could justify it fully but like where where are you on that in terms of how good he could get in that in that secondary playmaking role well it's, it's funny like Tim's value just relies so much on his role so like right now he's the first option in the offense and, he, and he's really not talented enough to be the primary option on a winning team. Like, you think? <laughs> he's, he's a very good – Like the question is, is how is he going to fit in when the Knicks are actually good, right? So That was my next he, question. That was yeah, – you like, stole it. I mean, can he settle into to more of like a third scoring option slash fourth most important guy on the team? I think of like a like a Clay Thompson, right? Like the, there are three guys more important probably to what the Warriors do. Not I'm not trying to compare the Knicks to the Warriors, but I'm just in terms of roster composition. No, like, totally. I got you. Um, could, could Tim Hardaway Jr. be that third leading scorer, fourth most important guy like Clay Thompson is? But I mean, unlike Clay Hardaway Jr., he actually does make plays for others. Like he's averaging three assists per game, which is a career high. He's assisting on almost 15% of the team's made shots, which is the best of his career. And it's a uh, per cleaning the glass, it's 78th percentile among wings. So it, he is. Some, he kind of gets the reputation of a, of a chucker because he does take a fair amount of bad shots, um, especially off the dribble, long twos, which he really needs to get out of his diet. But I think he will when he's in a more fitting role on the team, right? Yeah, um, I do too. It's, I mean, I guess the biggest, the very simple question that I have is he's so he's right now he's at thirty six point seven percent from three on the year on eight point four attempts per game, which you know, given that that volume, you know that percentage is 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 fine. Um, I think, but if he's so he he's going to sh- you know as a third or fourth option, obviously those looks are probably going to go down. The quality is probably going to increase. I wonder if I in- could envision a world where Tim Hardaway Jr. is a forty percent three point shooter, and I just I don't know if I could get there. Um, but I guess we'll see, right? Well, it's tough. Like, I mean, the thing is, he, like you said, he actually has been okay from three, and he's actually been really good on pull-up threes. Um, yes, he has. Very true. 
Yeah, I got this stat from NBA.com. So 53 players have taken at least 100 pull-up jumpers, and Tim Hardaway Jr. ranks sixth among those 53 in effective field goal uh, percentage. So ahead of him is just Curry, Redick, Tobias Harris, C.J. McCollum, and Spencer Dinwiddie. So he's been really on fire off the dribble um, this far into the season, which is encouraging. The, the weird thing is he's been really bad from two. He's shooting 42% from two-point range, which is by far the, it's the worst of his career, I think. Because um, yeah, he's usually been good at <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, like you were, as you were starting to say, he, he's been good in transition. Um, I feel like he hasn't gotten quite as many of those opportunities this year. Am I imagining that? No, I, I completely agree. Like you, you just remember last year him constantly pushing the ball, and that really hasn't been his role so far this year. Yeah, um, and just to the number, the two point numbers are are staggering. So, like, good news: three point percentage, free throws. Bad news: uh, according to Basketball Reference, which isn't perfect, um, he's at fifty two percent on zero to three feet. So, like, right around the rim. That's there's there has to be that has to regress back to the mean because um, he's though he's shooting 64 percent on those shots for his career um that's the number that really stands out and that it feels like it's, it's pulling everything down um but 100 like, percent. no I, I totally agree and I, I do think that's gonna uh, inch its way back up to to his career average which is comfortably above 60 percent, like you said so yeah um, yeah I, I think that's gonna be an, an outlier um Okay, let's do one more. Um, everybody's favorite punching bag right now, despite the fact that he uh, stepped over, you know, the guy who might win MVP this year, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Mario Hazonia. Um, <laughs> Mario. Super Mario. Not so Super Mario. However you want to go. Yeah. From what you've seen of this dude, um, is he – is there any hope left for him as a um, – contributing player on a good team do you think well I'll, I'll tell you what i didn't expect to do today was to, to come on nick's film school pod and defend mario hazonia i kind of was uh, hope no honestly i swear to god i was kind of hoping you would because my personal view is that he has not been as bad as people have made it out to be well, I mean, shooting-wise, he has been. Oh, that's like, been terrible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's statistically, there's no way around that. Like, he has just been god-awful um, shooting everywhere. doesn't matter where. doesn't matter what kind of shot. It's been brutal. But I think, you know, a lot of people will say he's he's just a zero defensively. And in in some cases, he has been. But I, I'll tell you what. I went and rewatched that that Wizards game from, from a few nights ago. And I, I went into it just wanting to focus on Hazonia and like really see like what everyone's talking about, like how bad he's been. And he made some plays that kind of impressed me. And I was just like, it, it, it kind of reminded me of my golf game a little bit, where it's like mostly it's just atrocious. Every, <laughs> every once in a while, I'll hit one like I'll just like get up and down for par or make birdie or something and be like, oh, that's why I keep playing. Listen, if you're making birdies, you're not that atrocious. What's your handicap? No, it, it is bad. Jonathan, it's, it's it's rough. I, I'm I shouldn't be below twenty in a handicap. Um, okay, but you'll go out and you break a hundred. Uh, once in a blue moon, I have done it before. But <laughs> okay, so you're so you're like Mario Hazonia, uh, basically your your success rate on good games versus not good games. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with that comparison. That my golf game is like Mario Hazonia, <laughs> but uh, that's great. Like there were just uh, especially in the second quarter of that Wizards game, like. He was doing a lot of communicating on defense. Like one time he saw 
I think it was uh, it may have been Trier was getting posted up by by maybe Jan Mahinmi, who isn't like a post up master or anything, but he's much bigger. So Hazonia likes noticed it, recognized it, and then like forced a scram switch. He was like Trier, get out of there, and like it's just there are little things like that where he he seems to be aware of what's going on with his teammates defensively, which is, is not something I could say about, about some other guys. Um, so like Hazonia, he, he also, he, he can be okay one-on-one, like in isolation. He had a really nice block on John wall, which as soon as that switch happened, I was like, Oh, Hazonia's getting toasted. And then he actually moved his feet, got to the baseline and, and blocked the shot. It was really nice. Um, and so that's defensively. And I will say one thing for him offensively is he's he's probably the best off-ball cutter on the team. Yes, yeah. Um, Poor man's Doug McDermott this year. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I made a, a comparison kind of like that where he and Cantor, surprisingly, have developed a nice chemistry a lot. Like most of Cantor's assists have come on passes to Hazonia. Um, all, all 12 of them. <laughs> all 12 of them. <laughs> I'm kidding. But it's, it's, uh, it's been – good to watch Hazonia like not just sit in the corner he doesn't really like relegate himself there kind of like Frank was a little bit when people talk about putting Frank in Hazonia's role it would require Frank to like up his off-ball motion kind of like Hazonia does so, so can I actually let's let's finish on that because I, I think it's an important point because I that's exactly where when everybody is like they're doing Frank at the service by just sticking him in the corner my comeback is like well it's up to him to not stay in the corner because you know when Hazonia's in that role, he he doesn't. He moves around. There's you know secondary actions that he engages in. Am I off base in in saying that, or if if I am, how far off base am I? Well, I know there those stats going around where like Frank wouldn't even touch the ball for multiple possessions at a time and all that. But some of that's definitely on him. Like we know he's not a very assertive, aggressive, offensive player. That's you know that everyone knows that at this point. So like. I didn't expect to say that Frank could learn a thing or two from Hazonia, but it's it's true. Like the off-ball movement stuff is is really important, and like you can't just you can't just sit in the corner and hope that people make plays for you. Sometimes you have to be the one creating that for yourself. So um, yeah, no, I'm with you there. Yeah, um, like I said before, we'll we'll see. Hope I, I someone. I forget one of my Twitter followers posed some crazy theory that uh, the Machiavellian mind of David Fisdale had it had it planned out that he would sit Fiz, sit uh, Frank these three games, reinsert him tonight against the Nets um, because he's had more success against the Nets than any other team, and then tomorrow for French Heritage Night against his mentor Tony Parker, truly unleash Frank. Uh, and and all of this will be will be forgotten. I love that. Yeah, I think we. I mean, I, I one more. Have you ever? Do you like find yourself just rooting for Frank a little bit harder than than other guys on the team? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Why I mean, is that? Because I I mean, I've obviously I do the same thing. I and I don't know why. Well, I mean, there's a few things that go along with that. Like he was the eighth pick in the draft so like you know it's a huge investment but also he just seems to be like a really high character guy right like he says a lot of the right things and and you can tell he cares deeply like he he doesn't come off as entitled at all like he just he knows he has to work and i i just i like the way i like guys who play hard-nosed defense so there's just a lot of different aspects to his game and his personality that that make him a a favorite for me yeah yeah i I i was having the thought this morning like 
would it would anything in basketball or anything in with the Knicks make me happier than if Frank had like a moment like he dunked on somebody or hit like a huge three and then he went back down court doing the um Sam Cassell big balls dance? Oh. I think I might like actually legitimately pass out. I think I would die. Uh nothing would make me happier than that. I mean just imagine him even doing what Hazonia did, the dunk and the step over. Like just even something like that. Oh yeah. Oh, I take it. Yeah, it's the stuff of dreams right now. Yes, it's the stuff the dreams are made of. Um, all right, listen, Tom, you've uh, given given us a big part of your Saturday afternoon, um, which I appreciate very much. Is there anything that you want to plug, promote, mention before we let you go? Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned you can find my stuff at the B-Ball Index. Um, I also I do co-host a podcast called Talking Knicks with a few of my buddies who are some <laughs> hardcore Knicks fans. Um and yeah, I actually have been in talks with JB about potentially contributing to, to Nick's film school. So uh, break some news here. Um, look, look out for some stuff later this month. Well, if that's the case, then you will uh, immediately rise to the top of our depth chart because uh, let me say, your stuff is awesome. And I know I've said this occasionally about guests that come on this pod, but um, there's just, you know, there's a lot of really great work being done that is being done by people who, you know, for whatever reason, you know, a lot of fans don't know about. And if you don't know about Tom, you should go follow him immediately. He's at uh, Tom, T-O-M underscore uh, Piccolo, P-I-C-C-O-L-O on Twitter. Really, really, really good, insightful, like actual basketball content as opposed to um, the crap you see where it's like people theorizing and you know, making guesses about what might happen, what could happen. Like this is actual analysis. It's, it's the stuff that you want. So, um, Tom, uh, I look forward to having you aboard and doing some work for us. And, uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on, man. Well, I appreciate the kind words and hope that I can be back on again sometime. Oh, you definitely will. Um, and, uh, for you out there, thank you for giving us some time today. Uh, we hope this was informative, insightful. And, uh, if, uh, Frank does indeed go off tonight against the Nets. Uh, you could count on this being uh, my last episode ever because I'm probably going to have a heart attack and, and will, in fact, die. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed that. And on that note, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Uh, we will ba- be back with you with another episode very soon. And, uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed. Thanks again.